to the Anchor Church Podcast. To learn more about Anchor Church or to hear the entire message, go to www.anchorchurch.life. Today's message from special guest Jordan Brown, that was then. 21 days to change your life. 21 days to change your life. That's the series that we are in. Justin explained it, and uh, we're going to talk about it today. But before we get started, would you pray with me? And uh, we'll give God our first this morning. Jesus, I love you so much. And God, today, do what only you can do in this place, Lord. We just sang about it, Lord, but we need your presence. Your presence is the greatest present that you could give us this morning, God. So please just fill this place Lord, we want to hear straight from you. May I step out of the way, God. Take control. Control my mouth, Jesus. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. There we go. We're feeling it this morning. So I have a question for you. Have you ever had anything not go as you planned for it to go? Anybody in here? Anybody in here? All right. Everybody should be raising their hand. Okay. So I need to tell you a story. But to be honest with you, you guys are the first people, large group of people that I have ever told this story to. I've only said it to a couple of my close friends, but the reason for that is uh, I'm a little bit embarrassed about it. And uh, I need to tell you it, but I'm willing to tell it to you. Are y'all interested in hearing this story that I need to tell you? Yeah? Yeah, okay. So go ahead and put this picture up right here. Um, I just recently got engaged. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So my fiance is on the front row. Her name is Cassandra. Now, you might want to shield your eyes because I'm going to have her wave, and she's got a big rock on her finger, so I don't want to hurt anybody. Go ahead and wave at them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Little head nod. Too cool. She's amazing, and uh, she's going to be an amazing pastor one day, uh, pastor's wife, and uh, I believe that you're going to change the world, Cassandra, and I can't wait to do it right by your side. So I love you, and uh, would you all make some noise for Cassandra, yeah? So this, this is the picture, and this is downtown Sydney, Australia, okay? And uh, the picture looks amazing, like cool. I, I had a guy take the photos, and he made it look awesome. But to be honest with you, if I am about to tell you this story, you, it's going to blow your mind, I think, about how much... It did not go as planned. The picture looks awesome, but the plan and what actually happened in reality is nowhere near what this looks like. So if I'm going to tell you this story, I've got to hop back to about a year or so ago when me and Cass, we were just dating, but we started to get a little bit more serious in our relationship. And the word marriage wasn't always this awkward thing where we were like, sort of like, whoa, he just said that word. But it started to become something that we were talking about and interested in. And um, I remember Cassandra saying to me, My dream has always been to either get engaged or married on a rooftop in a city somewhere. So I like, okay, take a mental note, put it in the back of my head. Then we fast forward a couple months, and this is July of last year. I leave everything. I was the worship pastor at a church, and uh, I left my family. I left my job, and I felt like God was calling me to Sydney, Australia, to learn how to be a pastor um, better. And so I go there. The first day that I arrive, I walk up to my apartment, and I'm about to meet the roommates that I will be with for the remainder of my time at college. And so I walk in, they say hello, they say, hey, put your stuff down, and uh, we're going to go to the city, you should come with us, and uh, you're going to love it, we'll get to know each other a little bit better, 
It'll be awesome. And so I'm like, sweet, let's do it. So I put my stuff down, got in the car, drove to downtown, and they showed me the opera house, and it's beautiful. And then they showed me the harbor, and you can see the bridge right there, and we took pictures there, did the tourist thing. We went and got dinner, and then we went straight over to this place that they said only the locals know about, okay? So we walk over. We go into this hotel, we go up to the ninth floor in the hotel, we go down the ninth floor hallway into the fire escape door, which then takes us outside on the side of the building. Then we have to jump over this wall and we have to climb up two sets of like the ladder stairs that they have on the side of buildings. But when we get up there, I look and I am on the rooftop of this hotel, and it is, it's pitch black outside, so all of the lights are the, of the city are there, and it is absolutely gorgeous. And my mind says, Jordan, if Cassandra ever comes to Australia, this is the place that you're going to ask her to marry you. So fast forward a couple more months uh, later, Cassandra calls me, hey, I booked my ticket. I hang up the phone. I said, guys, to my roommates, there were four of them. Two had one job. They were to help Cassandra over the wall. Then the other one was a photographer, and the second or the fourth one is the videographer. So we planned this thing out. They were going to go. They would text me when they're on the roof. We would walk up there just like before. Everything was supposed to be fine. Boy, was I in for a rude awakening. So here we go. Cassandra comes to Australia. We hang out for a couple of days, and the day comes. The boys go downtown. The plan starts, okay? Me and Cassandra, we start driving downtown. We get there. I get the text. The guy says, hey, we're upstairs. Everything's good. Come on up. I walk over. I said, hey, Cassandra, I have a surprise for you. Cassandra's in Australia. We've been talking about marriage for a while. So at this point, she starts to realize if he's about to ask me to marry him, I am about to freak out. So I just see this big smile on her face because she's catching on. And so we start walking. And we get into the lobby, and we go to the elevator. We open the elevator, and here is problem number one with my plan. You see, they installed a key card system now so that you can't go up unless you have a key card. So not too big of a deal. I walk outside with her, and I'm like, hey, just act like you're on your phone. So we get our phones out, and we're, you know, doing our thing. And then a family comes, and we're like, hey, can we ride with you guys? We forgot our key cards. We get up the elevator. Awesome. Problem solved, okay? We walk down the hallway, open the fire escape, get to the wall that uh, Cassandra needs to jump over, and this is problem number two. My friends who had one job were not there to help Cassandra get over the wall. So I pull out my phone, I look, and I'm about to send them a strongly worded text saying like, man, I am already freaking out right now. You guys are not helping me at all. So I pull out my phone and I see a big text in our group text message and it says, do not come up here, trouble, all caps. (laughs) Problem number three, okay? So as I'm looking there, my insides are just falling apart at this moment. Like I, my stomach hurts. I have to go to the bathroom. I'm about to do one of the biggest things that any guy does in his life. And I look up from my phone and Cassandra has already jumped over the wall. That girl was going to get her ring that day. I'm telling you. <laughs> so she jumps over the wall. And I'm like, oh, well, all right, here we go. So we hop down and I thought, man, it can't be too much trouble. And so I start climbing up the first set of stairs. And I'm beginning to hear voices that I don't recognize. 
and I climb up the second set of stairs and I'm in front of Cass and I look up and there are not four friends up there. There are six people up there. One of them has a bald head and the other one's got this suit on that says security right on his jacket. And that's problem number three, four, five, six, all of them, okay? And so I look back at Cassandra. She knows this is about to happen because it's a rooftop and I'm freaking out. And I said, Cass, are you sure you wanna go? And she says, get up there now. So I said, yes, ma'am, and I got up there. I walk over to the security guard. I pull the ring out of my pocket, and I said, sir, I'm about to ask my girlfriend to marry me. Will you please just let us do this, then you can do whatever you need to, and it will, will, we won't, we're not causing any trouble, anything like that. He said, that's fine. You can do it, but I need you to know two things. One, when you finish, I need your license, and two, the cops are on their way. Oh my goodness. You think this is white right here? I turned like four shades whiter than that, like Elmer's glue white, because I was so distraught, I could not even see straight. One, I'm about to ask my girlfriend to marry me, and two, I'm about to spend my first night as a fiance in jail. I'm not doing too well right now, but I walk over to Cassandra, I grab her hand, I get down on one knee, and she says, I drop some smooth lines, which makes me feel good about myself, because even under pressure, your boy is smooth. So I got down, I said, Cassandra, I love you, and a bunch of other stuff, and I said, will you marry me? She said, yes, oh my gosh, and then I put the ring on her finger, I stood up, and the first thing that she ever heard as a fiance is, I need your license, and we might be going to jail tonight. So she gives me her license. I walk over to the guy. He says, all right, you guys, we're going to wait up here for about five minutes. They're getting the holding cell in the hotel ready for you guys until the cops get there. So I think I'm on like problem number 17 right now with my plan. None of this was planned. And so they let us take a couple more pictures while we're up there. And um, we go down, we go through the back of the hotel and the boiler room and everything. And their holding cell was actually just a um, conference room. And, uh, and so we sit in the conference room, we're waiting for the cops to come, and here they come walking down, and it is a little short guy cop, and then a, about this tall, blonde, Australian girl cop, okay? And they start talking to the security guards, There's a little, they're a little ways away from us. And uh, we hear him talking, saying, hey, what's the issue? He said, these kids were trespassing and blah, blah, blah. They're not supposed to be up there. It's our protocol. We have to call you. And so uh, they said, what were they doing up there? Were they vandalizing anything? And they said, no, um, actually he, and he pointed at me, he said he asked her to marry him. And thank goodness that there was a girl cop there because she turns from serious mode and just goes, oh my gosh, that is so cute. That is so sweet. And then she'll, okay, all right, I got to lock it up now. Like, but I I was like, okay, I think we might be in the clear right now. So they say, okay, blah, 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 walk over to us. Just the cops, the security guards are over there. And they look at us and they say, hey, um, you guys just promise us that you're not gonna do this again. And uh, if you do, you will be in trouble, but we're gonna let you go. The girl cop was literally just scribbling on a piece of paper. He said, we're acting like we're writing your information down right now so these guys don't get mad at us, but we're far too busy to deal with anything. So you guys are good to go. So we get up, we took pictures with the cops and the security guards, and we walk out of the hotel, and now we get to live happily ever after. Did you enjoy that story? Yeah. So I, I walk out of the hotel, and then immediately, my mind starts telling me, man, 
And I start looking back and I think, what if I just did the engagement on a roof that we were allowed to go on? What if, what if I just did it in an open space? What if it, she doesn't care? She just has the ring. It, it won't matter. What, what if I didn't have to scare her in one of the most important moments of her life? And I continually kept looking back and looking back, and I just started to get down and down and sad and thinking that, man, I have just ruined this moment for her. And today, that's what I want to talk to you about, is our constant need and desire to, when we're moving forward, life is going good, but we want to look back. We want to look back at things that we've done. We want to look back and be reminded of things, and it slows us down from making forward progress. And I want to tell you today that our God is a God who is focused on your future. He's not worried about your past, just like we just sang, okay? So the devil is always going to put stuff in your path to remind you of things. You, you know the song, The, the Naked Eyes, um, in 1980-something, they, they came out with a song that said, why can't I forget you, girl? You know it? When there is always something there to... Are y'all going to clap with me or no? When there is always something there to remind me... Sing it if you know it right here. There is always something there to remind me... And cut. Awesome. You guys are amazing. Give yourselves a hand. That was great. Now, that song is about a girl, but so many times the enemy will put things in our path to make us look back. He's always going to put something there to remind us and make us look back. I don't know about you, but there are things that I have done in my past that I regret, and I carry them with me. At least I did until I started studying this, but there is freedom in Jesus, and I pray that you can experience it today. If you're taking notes this morning, go ahead and get your little orange thing out or your phones out, but I want to give you the title for this message, and uh, it's three very short words, but it means a lot, and these words hold weight, and that title is That Was Then. Today, by the time you leave, I want you to be able to say, that was then, this is now. I want to help you to be able to break up with your past and move forward into the future with God. How many of y'all believe that God waits in the future? Come on. He waits in the future. Yes, he's not in the past. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, why don't you turn to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, and we're going to start in verse 23. And we're going to study a story of David. And if you've heard the story of David and Goliath, that's awesome. That's amazing. He kills Goliath. I want to talk about the point leading right up to that point, all right? So David wakes up that morning. He goes out. He's a shepherd boy, okay? David's dad, Jesse, goes out and says, hey, your seven older brothers, he's the youngest of eight, they're at battle right now. I want you to take this lunch, and I want you to go and take it to them. So he says, awesome. He's pumped. He's like a little brother that gets to hang out with the big dogs, and he runs. I envision him running down the road. He can't wait to see what's going on. He gets to battle, and it's even better than he thought because they're not just chilling at the camp. They are on their way marching to battle. So like any little annoying little brother would do, he hops right in line with the soldiers and starts marching with them, and that is where we pick up right here. 1 Samuel 17, 23, as he talked with the soldiers, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath, by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All of the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? 
Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and will make his father's house free in Israel. So David here overhears these guys talking and he starts asking dudes in his group. He says, David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? and takes away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? If you're taking notes this morning, here's point number one, way number one to live a that was then lifestyle, and it's this. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. Look where David's focus was in verse 26. Can we put that one back up there? What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? So he's already looking past the conflict. He's not worried about Goliath. He's looking on what reward do I get once this happens? And the reason he's able to say that is because for who can... Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So his eyes are on the future and they're on the father. His eyes are on the future and on the father. The ultimate prize is Jesus and he waits in the future, not the past. He isn't waiting for you to come back and fix your mistakes that you made in the past, church. He's not waiting for you to come back and fix it and ask for forgiveness today. You can make a declaration and say, God, I'm sorry. I want to move forward from my past. And you can keep your eyes on the prize and keep looking at the future and never have to look back again. And now this isn't just for people that are dealing with something that they did bad in the past. We all have our baggage like that, but I'm even talking about things that are good in the past. Maybe you had a church service that was amazing and a group that you used to hang out with but, and, and, and you were really close to God when that was going on and now life happened, it's not a group anymore and so you're just sort of standing there and you're wondering what's going on or maybe you were at a church and this church did everything the way that you wanted it to go but now I'm at a church plant and I gotta wake up at 7.45 in the morning and come set things up and they don't do it like my old church used to do it or maybe there's a pastor and your pastor now doesn't do it like your other pastor used to do it. It's okay, it's okay because I think the most perfect analogy of this is just like a bush or a, a tree that has flowers. And when the flowers die off of a tree, it doesn't sit there and just look at the dead brown flowers on the ground and go, I will never be beautiful again. That tree just continues to move forward. It continues to push. And then a new season comes and new flowers spring up. And God wants to give you some new flowers in your life. You just have to keep moving forward and not stay in the same position. Are you with me, church? Yes. Okay. Okay. So David was focused on the future and his father. Never once did he look back, neither should we. In Colossians 3, verse 1, it says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of this earth. So I have a question for you. Where are your eyes set? Are your eyes more focused on the past than they are in the future? Are your eyes more focused on the enemy and what he's telling you, or are they on the Father? Because we can't move forward unless we set our eyes on the future and the Father. 1 Samuel 17, 28. Let's continue this story, okay? Now Eliab, this is his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the soldiers. 
And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Any older siblings in the house? Any older siblings in here? How many of y'all understand the annoyance of a little brother or sister? Yep. So I understand Eliab's anger. I don't think what he said was right, but here it comes. Here's what he said. Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness with? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. So... He's giving him a reminder of, hey, you're just a little shepherd boy, and you're annoying, and I don't want you here, and I'm angry, and you you didn't just come to bring lunch. You came to watch the battle. Can you please go away? And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the exact same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. You're only a kid, and he has been a man of war since he was a kid. So here we have two negative opinions from two prominent people and influences in his life. One, his older brother. He wants to make fun of him, wants to tell him he's evil, wants to remind him that, hey, you are under me. And if that's not bad enough, Saul, the king, the president of his nation tells him, you can't go fight against this guy. You are not old enough. Everyone had their own opinion of David, but this was it. His perspective never changed. He said when his brother was talking to him, he said, have I not said but just one word? I don't even know why you're talking to me like this. And he turned away. I don't know if you have somebody in your life who is like an Eliab that just wants to hate on you and wants to remind you of everything that you're doing wrong. But just like David, we can learn from him. Don't say anything more and just turn away and go the other direction. Protect your perspective. That's point number two. If you're taking notes, write that down. Protect your perspective perspective. David's perspective never changed. So church, do you really believe what God says? Do we really believe it? Because David was crazy enough to believe it. He said, God chose Israel. We're not going to lose. Send me into battle because we will not lose. I believe what God said when he said we're his nation. But do you believe today that he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak? Do you believe that? Or do you believe that he will do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or think? There are promises all throughout the Bible, but we still live our lives just believing that, you know, what the world told me and what, what this person told me and this person doesn't believe in me and they don't want to see me do good. So I'm just going to start to accept what the world says. You know, I think the easiest way that we can get what the world says is this right here, this phone. It's in our pocket all the time. It's constantly in our hands. We can get on social media. We can see all kinds of things. And I know this thing has a light, but I also know that the Bible says this is a light unto your feet and a lamp unto your path. And sometimes I think our cell phones are what's lighting our path and are what we are following rather than what the word of God says. You follow me? You following me? Come on, church. So like like this, uh, I post a picture I share my heart with something and I come back a couple minutes later and there's not that many likes. 
You know, I look and someone has said something mean about me or why are you sharing your heart? Why are you doing this? You, you, I know what you did, blah, blah, blah. And we start to believe that, man, no one really likes me. Or maybe you got no likes on your picture and you really believe that no one likes you. But God's word says that I have chosen you. You are not forsaken. I love you. You are my child. Which voice are you listening to? I'm always looking at my phone and seeing what all the celebrities are wearing and how much money they have and looking at the nice cars that they have. I want a Tesla so bad. I want to be Elon Musk's friend. And I just want everything that he has. And I believe that when I have that stuff, they look so fulfilled. But Jesus' word says, this is all you need. I am all you need. You will always be searching for more until you come back to me. God is the only one that you need. I think the biggest thing that we listen to on our phones and from the world is just the simple fact of listen to your feelings, listen to your heart. Man, if you want that girl, go for it. Lie. Do whatever you can. Just get the girl. You want that boy? Be who that boy wants. Don't be yourself. Make sure you do whatever it takes to get that girl or that boy. And then you want that promotion? Go. Lie. Do whatever you need to do. Cut some corners. But the promotion's going to be worth it. You don't understand. No. This is all that you need. Your heart will deceive you. Your feelings will deceive you. God can promote you in one second further than you could do on your own in about five years. Let's start listening to our feelings and let's start opening this book and let it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our past. Are you with me, church? Amen, amen. Believing what God says breeds confidence. David believed what he said. Who is this guy that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you know God's on your side or are you not listening and sitting on the sidelines? Today, it's time to listen to what he says. It will change your life forever if you just open this book, see what he says about you, see how he feels about you, the plans he has for you. It'll be a game changer. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel for more messages like this one.